My name is Mike Zeller, and I'm here to inspire you to go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profits. Welcome to the Go Big to Give Big podcast, where we are challenging six-figure earners to become seven-figure givers. My name is Randy Mullen, and each week, my co-host Steve Arneson and I are interviewing successful entrepreneurs, professional athletes, philanthropists, and other high-performing humans that are inspiring us with their stories. We go deep into uncovering how they have become successful and why generosity is an impact they want to leave on this world. Our mission is to have you leave this podcast wanting to go bigger with your dreams and goals so that you can give bigger with your profits. Let's not waste any more time and jump right into it. Welcome back to another episode of the Go Big to Get Big podcast. And today we have the incredible Mike Zeller joining us. Mike is a business architect and has done over $100 million in sales and has had some major success in creating his companies, but has also had some major failures along the way. He now uses those life lessons to coach high-level entrepreneurs and executives to help them find their zone of genius. Mike's one-of-a-kind ability allows him to have his clients take a variety of personal tests like the Myers-Briggs, the DISC test, and the Wealth Dynamic and help them get clear on what they're great at and what they're not great at. Inside our episode, he talks about how you can learn what your zone of genius is and how you can start empowering it along with some other self-development hacks to train your brain to make bigger and better decisions. There is also a section where Mike shares an incredible story about how he was losing everything in his business while he was across the world for his wedding and how in that moment of collapse was where he found his passion for coaching and doubled down on it. We also chat with Mike about how he used his car dealerships to give away cars to people in need and why he believes so much in giving back. And I will say, since recording this episode, Steve and I have chatted with Mike multiple times and have he has helped us unlock some of our zone of geniuses, and I hope you find as much value in this episode as Steve and I have gotten from Mike. So let's not take any more time and get into our episode with Mike Zeller. Mike, welcome to the show. Randy and Steve, dude, you guys rock already. I can't wait to dive in, and you're in one of my most favorite parts of the world, and you're also... Real in the game of real estate, one of the best games around. So can't wait to dive in. You Amen. Wouldn't believe, you wouldn't believe how many times we get that, that you live in the best place and you do the best thing. So uh, we consider ourselves pretty lucky. And I'm super excited to jump in and have a chat with you. You've been through the gauntlet as an entrepreneur and as a human and able to propel yourself out and find your zone of genius as you talk a lot about. And just chatting beforehand, you were able to find along the way your social entrepreneurship and doing your social enterprise work. And it's something that's just aligns with you a lot and aligns with us. I would love to start out just by hearing the story that had you overcome all the adversity, reclaim who you were, and really help you find your zone of genius? Yeah, it really begins with your habits. And in my in my early years, I was 19, and my mom sent me to a conference. She doesn't even remember buying me a ticket to the conference, but I go to this conference, and, and they talked about, it was one day, Peter Lowe's success seminar, and I wasn't even in college yet. I was about to start, and I was there and I'm like, I'm hearing guys like John Maxwell and Colin Powell and Zig Ziglar, and they're talking about, hey, read 30 minutes a day. 
just plant, start your day off planting the seeds. I still have the original notebook that I wrote the things in. And I was like, that's great. And I started doing it. And then I go to another conference in my junior year of college. And it was in the middle of finals week. So I skipped out on studying for finals that day and went to a conference with this Brian Tracy. And he said, if you read one book a month in your chosen field, you'll be an expert in three years. Shoot. I'm not waiting three years. I'm going to do it in one year. I want to be an expert in one year because experts get paid disproportionately more than non-experts and you have more fun and more impact. And so first thing, I, I literally read 42 books that year. Next year, 48 books while I was in college and I just said and went through uh, speed reading courses and books and stuff. And I was like, you know what? I got to, I'm going to master this game of learning. Learning is the way of the future. And Jumped into real estate eventually as well, like saw that 97% of America's millionaires made their millions in real estates or real estate. And uh, so that's where it started. But it, at the end of the day, we, you have to plan for adversity, not to plan to create it, but plan that, hey, like the seasons of life, the seasons like econo- there's economic seasons, right? We're in the early stages of another recession right now. It's overdue. But we're going to go through seasons. Recessions are every eight to 10 years. You plan for it. And, but sometimes you're going to have setback seasons as entrepreneurs. And how old are you guys? Just Early 30s. So you, you haven't hit your midlife crisis point. <laughs> Almost everyone. I had a quarter life crisis already. But. Life. Okay. Yeah, we, we could have that. But Tony Robbins hit his midlife crisis right around age 40, 38, 39. I hit mine right around that age where it just, boom, crap, it's a fan and nothing works anymore. And you have, and it's maybe a divine storm of propelling me into what I'm called to do and create. And, and so that, that was my season. But what happened, I was ready for it enough. And it still wasn't easy, but I was ready for it because of what I did in my 20s of planting the seed, building that mental muscle, reading books like Failing Forward. Of like, I had already had a good perception of failure is not failure until you just give up. That's awesome, man. And I'm excited to dive into this story and start learning more. And and, uh, along your way, you talk about how you had a 55 employee company, you're doing multi-million dollars a year, and then you've faced some adversity and had to pivot along the way. What were some of the challenges you faced while you built up some success and then went through the, the setback season or some of the challenges you faced along the way? I think some of the biggest challenges, like and opportunities are like, who do you partner with? And are you partnering with people that you're complimentary uh, in nature to based on your all success, you guys add a lot to each other's life and complement each other in business. I think of, hey, it's not a dream, like dream individual, it's a dream team. How do I design out a dream team? That's why I even call myself a business architect. I come alongside and help high profile leaders design out like one of the guys I'm working with, he's got a hundred million dollar company. He wants to get to, to a billion, but he's got some obstacles for him to get there. He's a dream player in his role, but he's missing a few other dream players. And so that's a piece of it, what I'm doing and how I think about it is as you build your brand, you got to realize, Hey, where am I freaking a, a total badass? And then where that, where am I total suck ass and own that, embrace that, step into that, claim it. Dude, that's wicked. I, w- I want to unpack that the architect aspect of things. So you called yourself a business architect. I would imagine that you have a really high level of skill of like visionary projection in, in, in the business space. But at the same time, I think as an architect, sure you have this beautiful dream of this, you know, 
obviously this real estate space with this beautiful skyscraper kind of thing. But then you also have to have the knowledge of how the screws go into the steel. So when you're talking about going from a hundred million dollar company to a billion dollar company, what does that process look like from nuts to bolts to completion on working with other large businesses? Yeah. As an example, one of the guys I'm mentoring him and his uh, executive team, and he's got six car dealerships right now. He's going to scale it to a hundred car dealerships. He has a give back component and all those things too. And one of the challenges he has is he's doing a lot of hundred dollar or even thousand dollar an hour activities and that are outside of his lane of genius. And what got you here will not get you there. And so at each life cycle, organizational life cycle, you, you've got to almost reimagine and reimagine your role. Very few CEOs make that leap. One of the guys actually out of uh, BC that I talked to a couple of weeks ago, Ryan Holmes, CEO of Hootsuite, founder of Hootsuite. And he's grown with a company. He didn't, uh, but most people, they, the organization, even in, if they created it, it boots them out of their role. Like, even Zuckerberg, like, hey, I'm not fit to be CEO for a little while. Sergi and, and Larry, they stepped out away from Google for a while and let Eric Schmidt be the CEO for 10 years because they had to grow into it. Steve Jobs got kicked out because it's a different identity. Another piece is an identity. We were talking about mindset stuff. I like your identity precedes your destiny. How do I, if I'm going to be the owner of a billion dollar company, what's the identity look like for me to get there? And then you reverse engineer that. In that space, though, I think a lot of people struggle with the effort it takes, for one, but then also mm-hmm. might have this fear around the change that, I guess, happens naturally with, with yeah. your own evolution that you have, like you said, you have to become somebody new. You have to create your own, your next level of identity. Like you're going through a video game and sure. like you got to, you know, put the shield on this time or you got to pick yeah. up the sword or you got to like put on extra armor, that kind of stuff. You got to change and evolve. What's one of the biggest things that you see people struggle with in that process and how can we overcome the struggle? Yeah, it's a beautiful question, Steve. And you, part of it is it's that identity element of we all hit an upper limit formula. Like I have a client that just signed up with me yesterday, completed her payment. We're doing some one-on-one work and she, it was really scary and it's terrifying for her to make as big of an investment as she's making to work with me. But she knows she's had this dream for five years. She hasn't moved on it. And and part of it is how is our brain naturally designed to function? Our brain is designed to keep us safe. And what is unknown is not safe. It feels dangerous, right? Like when you guys ask guys to jump into your real estate mastermind, if it's a first time they've done it and it's a stretch, A, it should feel like if I'm building something new, it should be a little scary. And otherwise, there's three zones. There's the comfort zone, which which is where you become like a couch potato. The discomfort zone, that's where the magic happens. And then the paralysis zone, which is where it's just too much and you can melt. You can flop. And usually the discomfort zone is only about 10 to 15% beyond your comfort zone. And that actually activates flow state too. So I can unpack flow state in a sec, but... By step in, I want to live in the discomfort zone and keep stretching and stretching a little bit and get comfortable living in the discomfort zone. And then, man, what was comfortable for me or discomfort or scary for me two years ago is now like in my comfort zone. I keep growing and stretching. Elon Musk keeps pushing the needle. 
He just bought a social media company. Does he ever? <laughs> yeah. So it's finding that lane of where I live in my discomfort zone. How do I reimagine my identity and how you look at your identity? Like you guys are in this season. I love that you're in a season of two years. You can step away from your work if you want and reimagine this is an incredible season to work on your identity. And you got space and massive transforming segments of our lives happen when we get those perspective shifts. Einstein solved the theory of relativity, not because he could do experiments, not because of grit and hard work. Yeah, he worked hard on it, but he solved it in really two years by doing thought experiments where he went to a different perspective. He saw himself riding a light wave and he saw himself watching himself on the light wave and he saw himself watching himself watch himself. So he had the, all these different perspectives going on and he's like trying to understand these laws of nature. So you guys, as you're in the season, how do you keep creating radical perspective shifts? How important is it to change your environment when you're in it? Obviously, as entrepreneurs, you get so caught up in the day-to-day and working from the office and things like that. How is it important to go out and change your environment, change your state for not just a few hours, but for days, weeks, months? Oh, dude, it's absolutely vital. And us as human beings, we are products of our environment. And so if I'm a product of my environment and... Uh, that's why I like to ask a lot of my clients ask, hey, what does my environment need to look like for my success to be inevitable? My peers, who do I spend time with? That's the value of masterminds. That's why I've led masterminds for seven or eight years. Who are my mentors? Who are my virtual mentors? The books, the podcasts, et cetera, that I'm soaking in. Even the movies or shows that I watch. Who do I spend time with? Go out. Where do I travel to? My wife and I have a goal every year to travel to one of the world's 50 most beautiful cities and live there for at least a month because that just puts us in an environment helps us interrupt our life patterns and it also helps us remind ourselves that we're abundant and we've done it when we had when we were struggling like when 2018 2019 i lost a million dollars personally and it was brutal and i also got married then and all this and as a high achiever type that was a rough season (laughs) but we were still, we still lived in Barcelona for a month or five weeks, actually. We still lived and traveled to other spots in, in Europe and it changed our perspective and we knew we would make it to the other side. That's awesome, dude. And after we go through this section, I want to talk to you a little bit about some of that season of getting married yeah. and losing a lot all in the same time frame. But before we go there, I'd love for you just break out what this- I don't recommend you- it, by the way. <laughs> I'd love for you just to break out a little bit of the Zones of Geniuses. Obviously, you have a book about it, and it's something mm-hmm. you're super passionate about. For our audience, just break out what the Zones of Genius are. Yeah, so it, actually, because of that season of loss, it caused me to go a little bit deeper in that. Because in there, I was like, hey, how do I grow these all these companies? I had six different companies in different industries, real estate, fashion, automotive, marketing agency, coaching. And I was like, all right, how did I grow these things? But then I sucked at managing aspects of them. I'm just not a good operations type dude. And, uh, but I'm brilliant at driving progress and catalyzing movement. And in architecting, like culture, brand architecture, like we had some really strong brands and, and I have strong brands I'm building right now. But that catalyzed me. I was like, in, in the season a lot, I remember I was in Florence, Italy, actually on our honeymoon. 
and we had five weeks in Europe after our wedding. And, uh, and I was in Florence and we had rented out our house on Airbnb. So we were over there. I had mostly had our expenses covered and all that, but the shit's hitting the fan in my business. And I'm like, dude, what? Everything's falling apart. We're, I have six different bank accounts. I'm like, dude, which bank account can I pay for a hotel on tonight? Is <laughs> like, because I had all these expenses for the wedding and we had a wedding in Nashville. And I, my cash cow business had disintegrated before our wedding, right before our wedding. And, and I'm sitting in Florence. I remember we got in a fight on Sunday morning and I the, left the apartment, took one of my like moleskins and I just went and journaled in this beautiful cafe looking overlooking the square in Florence for three hours, just wrote and think and, and ideated on where am I going with my future? Who do I really want to be? And, and my wife challenged me on that. And I was like, I, I feel like my calling and part of my purpose is unleash people's divine potential. Like my core essence, since I was 20, I love seeing people step into their potential, potential for good, for impact, dream, their belief, shattering those limiting beliefs. And I, ha- I was like, I got to make my coaching number one. It was like number six at the time. And, and so that's, I was started stripping away even other businesses that I was involved in that weren't working the way they should and, and figuring out how to make that number one. But it was, I realized it really comes down to your genius comes down to your unique talents, your defining life moments, your key relationships and your values and passions. And I can unpack those a little bit more too here in a sec if you want. Yeah. I would love for you to unpack each of those right now and just give us, you know, the cliff notes on each one and then jump into the next section. Yeah. So if you look at your unique talents, but if you, we know, and a health diagnosis. Let's say I have a brain injury and I might need brain surgery. I, I don't want my doctor to just go in and just, ah, let's just cut open his head and find out what's going on. Right? No, you want the data. You want precision matters. The beauty about our modern life is the precision is there if we know where to look. And it's also, before I get to that, I want you to ponder this, like Socrates said, to know thyself is the beginning of all wisdom. And you look at uh, every single organization that flourishes, every single individual that flourishes, usually they're in the exactly the right position or the most right position. They're also surrounded by people that are in extraordinary positions themselves. Michael Jordan and Chicago Bulls had a great compliment. You didn't want Dennis Rodman shooting threes at the end of the game. Tom Brady, you don't want him running out for passes. He's slow as heck, right? Every single business. Uh, Steve Jobs. We're we're big sports guys. So when you use those sports analogies, it it lands good. good. (laughs) Yeah, I'm big sports guys too. What what sports do you guys love? Soccer, football? Hockey, soccer, football. Oh, yeah. Golf, Golf, yeah. Well, so if you think about it, Steve Jobs, Apple's heyday was when Steve Jobs was, was the visionary entrepreneur. Had Tim Cook, who's when uh, Tim came to Apple, their supply chain was total chaos. And they would have never become what they became without Tim. Disaster. Steve was just pushing too hard on everybody and was going to, they couldn't keep up. And But Steve, that's not his genius, right? Joni Ive, brilliant industrial designer, one of the best industrial designers of our era as an artist of creating products. And, and uh, now you can see Tim Cook's the CEO of Apple. He's not visionary. 
at least doesn't feel like it, right? Like they haven't really innovated in 10 years, except the innovations that were already in the pipeline. Extraordinary results are preceded by being in extraordinarily right positions. That's a premise that I have. And then the last thing I'll add, I talked to this really old guy. He actually lives in the Northwest, but he's an innovator in a product that we've used a lot. Like you guys probably have Visa debit and credit cards or have had them. So D-Hawk, the founder of Visa, most people have never heard of him. But in, it, when he retired from Visa, he started researching what do the very best leaders in the world do that ordinary leaders don't do? They're doing things like what you guys are doing. They, they focused on self-leadership. He's found that the very best leaders in the world spend more than 50% of their energy on self-leadership, more than 50% of their leadership energy. They're not trying to lead others, trying to lead themselves. And so he's writing for Harvard and all these other organizations. You look at everything in life, sports analogies, like you look, Russell Westbrook was at Lakers, no self-awareness, right? Like he just, he thinks he's still 22 years old and is the best athlete on the floor. No, he's not. He can't shoot. Steph Curry has self-awareness. So you find your unique talents and take people through your strengths finder, your Myers-Briggs, your Colby index, and your wealth dynamics. Wealth dynamics is the only test that measures your natural pathway for wealth. If you guys haven't taken that yet, you'll love it with where you're at and your entrepreneurs consistently, it's their favorite test. And then the fifth one is the disc profile. So that, those are the tests for unique talent. So you just gather all the data because it all measures something different. You can throw in an Enneagram and these other tests if you want to. And then your defining life moments, you can trace back your life and look at these aha moments or these heart stirring moments. Like, why are you guys, if I look at your life trajectory, there's probably moments of like the giving was a huge component or the environment, knowing you're Canadians and, and we care about the environment more than most of us foolish Americans, but that's going to be a piece, right? What are those breakdowns that led to your breakthroughs, your, your mess that led to your message or those whispers in your soul where you felt alive? You know, I can do Theodore Roosevelt. I can do Michael Jordan. I can do Steve Jobs. I can break down an individual usually in 10 minutes of and help them pull out some of those key moments. Then you look at uh, the third area, your key relationships, who brings you life versus death, and where do you have this cluster of natural relationships that are already built? And the fourth year is your values, what do you stand for versus stand against? And your passions give you clues. Your you know, Curiosities become your passions, your passions become your path, and your path becomes your purpose. We gotta stir and pursue with intentionality. What are my passions? What's typically some of the first, thanks for unpacking that too, Mike, as we embrace that and step into our zone of genius, what's typically one of the first signs that we're there? Yeah, become more alive. You're like, I was one of the clients I've worked with last year, he owns a film studio and he makes films for like Amazon and Goldman Sachs and beautiful cinematic storytelling. And first session, we said we do a Zone of Genius Day. And he's got it. His company just had a record year. He's got a great team of employees and he should be happy. Got paid more money than he ever made. But he's Mike, I'm depressed. And two hours into the session, as we unpacked, we started looking at all the things in his life that brought him life and all the things that brought him death. His, it, was in, it was the reverse. It was like almost everything in his life that in, it was in his schedule in his daily life was bringing him death. And he was playing out a position where he matched it up with his strengths. And what we'd started doing is over the next two weeks, his name's David, we started 
shifting, deleting, eliminating, putting the life-giving things into creating white space for him because he's a visionary. He didn't, his soul was dying on a vine. Mm-hmm. And I told him about two hours in, I was like, David, you're about ready to tear this business down, aren't you? You're looking for a way out. He said, Mike, how did you know that? I'm like, I can look at, let's look at the board. You're, you're playing way out of position. You're not using your, and you're never going to get your company to a 20 year, $20 million a year company by playing in these roles. Because you're like an operations CEO. You're supposed to be a visionary CEO. Mm-hmm. And two weeks later, we radical shifts. A month later, he's on fire. He's like, Mike, I don't even need depression medicine anymore. That's amazing. Just shows the power because like I've suffered from depression many times and and it's a dark hole that just oh, yeah. holds on to you so tightly. So being able to step into that zone of genius and be able to feel alive again is so inspiring. Mm-hmm. On the sports side of things, just before we transition onto the giving I side. I like talking of, about sports. So. Yeah, let's do it. Let's <laughs> open up this can of worms. Uh, who's winning Stanley Cup? No, just hold on. Uh, I know your answer on that one. Randy and I are both uh, huge sport advocates. We were both born and raised and grew up through sports. We've been captains mm-hmm. of teams. You know, we've been on winning teams. We've been on losing teams. We've felt so much. And we we get back to kids sport Victoria quite a bit because we want to see future generations go through similar experiences. What being a sports guy yourself, what did sports teach you maybe in your youth that has helped you in business today? Because I think they're very similar crossovers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A, how to work with other people. The team aspect, there's no I in team, but as Michael Jordan famously said, there is an I in win. I think there's a little bit of both sometimes, but the also resilience. I think sports are one of the best freaking tools for resilience. Yeah, you're going to get knocked down. You're going to get bloodied. You're going to get a black eye. You're going to lose. You're going to fail. All right. So what? Get back out there. You don't fail until you quit. And so that identity around I'm not failing. I'm just learning. So that those are the two favorite things that I've learned. That's awesome. It's something Steve and I are very passionate about is sports and the carryover between sports and entrepreneur. And we find that quite a bit with entrepreneurs. They did have some sort of athletic background or, or love being in sports just for that reason. The mm-hmm. triumph of coming up from a win and coming back from, from losses and very relatable into business. And I want to transition a little bit now into some of the giving stuff. You are a man that believes a lot in that from what we've had a quick chat about. And you have an emphasis on working with social entrepreneurism businesses. What, what does that look like? Why did you pick that path? Why do you want to go down there and what attracts you to them? Yeah. The giving, I think probably my faith background of like my spiritual faith as a Christian is a piece of who I am and how I look at the world. And I feel like, all right, now I'm not the typical conservative, ridiculous faith background we sometimes see, but the background of like, hey, the whole, we're supposed to be stewards of the earth. We're supposed to make the world a better place. We're supposed to serve others in love. What if we did that? And what if we did that in our business? What if we did that in our planet? And looked at also the world was birthed into abundance. Like right now, a big thing I had to do was rewrite my money story during that season. And I read 97 money mindset books over the past like six years because I know I'm meant for even way more abundance than I've ever experienced. And I'm on that path. And I'm writing this uh, a journal right now called the God and Money Journal. And it's all about all the layers within even the, the Bible of, hey, 
we were born into abundance. Like when you and I were born, we didn't have to go and like hunt for breast milk. It was there if we had a healthy mom, right? Like it was there. We had love. We were held. Like we had clothing. Adam and Eve in that allegorical or real, whatever it was, we don't know. But in the metaphor, at least, they were born in abundance. God said, the whole earth is your playground. Go and be a steward over it. And then they screwed, They got tricked into believing they're in scarcity. And, and so I think there's abundance for us all. And I think we, if we stay in it, the, uh, another thing that hits me on the social enterprise part, if I build into the culture of my organizations a spirit of giving and a spirit of service, then I'm going to be more generative because the same root word for generous is the same root word for generative. So as I become more generous, I actually become more generative in ideation and development. Elon Musk, is he may not be the world's greatest philanthropist, but he actually likes to give. And he's like, hey, I can, I'm going to solve this problem. And I'm going to solve this problem that better makes the world better. So he's obsessed with solving problems that uh, the world faces. What's one of the businesses you're working with now that has you most excited about the, the social impact that it can make on the world? Yeah, I'm super excited, actually. And one of the companies I'm consulting is that uh, larger family of car dealerships. And if they grow to 100 car dealers, I know with my help, I can help them get there. They got six, six dealerships right now. And if we get to 100, that would mean that they're selling literally tens of thousands of cars a year. They've, they would have impact on like millions of people's lives over time. And if I build in a giving component, because in America, we don't have a whole lot of great public transportation. When I owned our, my car dealership, I built out our giving program and we would see people that came in that never thought they would own a car. Almost every single recipient of our a car, they showed up, didn't know they were receiving a car. And they were stunned and they'd be like 25, 30 years old, sometimes 40 years old, not even have a driver's license. And they have two or three kids and be working their butt off, but they'd be stuck in that cycle of just barely making it. And so I love that component. And some of my favorite moments in life were seeing someone's life change because we gave them a car, you know? And so that's one of them, but also on my biohacking venture, I think giving people back their reverse aging, their, how they feel 10 years, 15 years, relieving chronic pain for me, rebooting my stamina, like going through some of the biohacking and 80 plus all that's a big component too. Mike, you, you talked a lot about abundance and the mindset that comes along with it. And you mentioned Elon too, who said in his latest Ted talk that he believes that we're approaching a world of abundance right now. Mm -hmm. And we'll live, there'll be an era of abundance. How do you, why do you think not everybody already gives? Like I come from a similar background. I'm, yeah. I'm not, you know, a diehard Christian, but I was raised in the church. And then on my dad's side of things, he's comes from a farming background. And on the farm, it's just, you help everybody yeah. whenever you, whenever possible. And so it's just in me, but I see it all the time mm -hmm. that people have this, subconscious battle about it. What is it? I, I think it comes down to at least spiritually or metaphorically, it's like that uh, scarcity is a big driver. Obviously in our businesses, sometimes we use scarcity to drive sales. Like 
this offer is good until Black Friday only and all those things. But the fear of missing out is a massive driver. And it comes down to this just psychological, spiritual principle of something is being withheld. And we've also experienced that, right? Like we've experienced the reality of missing out on something. I didn't get there early enough and I didn't get that iPhone 4, the first whenever, and they sold out that day. And then they only had so many number limits or I I was too afraid to ask a girl out in high school. And, and then someone else, right before I asked her, someone else asked her out and she said yes. And then I lost my chance. There is reality of things opportunities are abundant. That is true. It's like Richard Branson says, opportunities are like buses. There's always another one coming around the corner, but you did miss that one that was just right there. So that's also the reality. You missed that one that was right there and that sucks for the moment. And so that becomes a psychological driver and people are more driven by pain than pleasure. And sometimes that's pain avoidance. Uh, Just a different question here for you, but How has the thought of giving motivated you to do something that you weren't going to do? Yeah, great question. I think what happens too is when we step into giving, back to even what you were asking as well, Steve, as we step into giving, it it actually forces us to step into an abundant mindset than a scarcity mindset. And that activates something in us. This morning, I didn't even look at my bank account. I'm going to give some money to this organization. And I was like, I'm just going to do it. I wanted to do it just to pro- proactively trigger myself into an even more abundant mindset. So when we shift in giving, it should feel back to the discomfort. It should feel a little uncomfortable. And, it, and we should make it as we make it a ritual. Then we're also reminding ourselves that the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, is ultimately our supply. And, and I can't control everything. None of us can control. Control is an illusion. But if I'm working in principle and tandem with the universe and with like right now, I have a 10-month-old or 11-month-old, actually. I don't know if you guys have babies yet. You guys are probably too young. Enjoy your single, non-baby state. But be, having a baby is actually beautiful, too. But I'm outside with my baby sonnet, and we're looking up at the sky. And we did a little picnic on Monday night with my wife and our baby. And I just remembered as a child, like 12 years old, we had, grew up on a horse farm. I look up into this, the sky and see the clouds just blown by on the summer days. And remembering how it's a miracle of life. We're freaking product. We're products of miracles. What if we lived in a state of the miraculous a little bit more? So keeping that mindset for one second, let's use our imagination and let's just pretend that everybody has an abundance mindset and everybody wants to support and help. And and we're in that, I don't know, perfect world, if you will. What does that look like to Mike Zeller? And I think it looks like a great mastermind, right? It's like we're lifting each other up. We're, we're paying people what they're worth, not at a state of, uh, fear, scarcity, whatever, but we're like knowing, hey, money, food, friendships, relationships, opportunities are flowing and it's there's joy. When you're in an abundant state, you're joyful, you're expansive, you expand others in an abundant state and also you become more attractive to others romantically, financially, 
business-wise, like every everything, when you are in that abundant versus scarce state, people feel it. Subconsciously, it's like that energy in people's body. You can taste and see that they are trustworthy and good. And it's more fun. So much more fun. Yeah, I completely agree. Just real quick, we're going to have one more question before we jump into our giving round. But do you have a quick and short and sweet story that you can think of that is a time that when you look back on it, a time that you gave and when you look back on it still gives you goosebumps today? Yeah, I can think of our first time that we gave a car. We we hadn't paid ourselves. My, my business partners and I at the car dealership, we hadn't paid ourselves. And we worked almost like five or six months for free, just stocked away the money, put it, we put aside money for the giving. We found this couple that was in Nashville. They lived in Alabama, if I remember correctly. And their child had some form of cancer, might've been leukemia. And they were stuck in Nashville and their car broke down. And it was a piece of crap car. And somehow we heard about the story. And I remember we, we, someone told us about it. We met up with them, took them to dinner at Logan's Roadhouse, I think it was, a little steakhouse here. And after dinner, we took them out and gave them a car. It was like a Saturn SUV or something, you know, nothing fancy, like seven or $8,000 car at the time. And it just shifted their world and, cha- and changed us. And we're like, wow, we really got to be a true blessing to this family. And, and also as we're you know, building the business, we would remind and invite our customers and their experience. And hey, you're part of this blessing too. You're a part of changing these people's lives. And whenever we did, as time went on, we ended up having a big giving day about once a quarter. And we might give away two or three cars that day, invite the nonprofits, invite previous customers out, have hot dogs, hamburgers, invite our vendors to give. And we'd fill up the minivan with like food and baby stuff, if they had babies, whatever. And it just became a big celebration of and really a reminder of abundance. And so that's one, that's probably one of my favorite, those type of moments. But if I, oh, another time we were driving down the highway in in this, this season where I lost all my money, basically, or a lot of money, not all my money, but I lost a lot. And we uh, saw this homeless guy on the side of the road and I'm on rush to get to LAX airport. And my wife and I, we see this homeless guy and my wife, anytime she sees a homeless guy, we got to get money. It's just <laughs> no matter if they're on drugs or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, I only have a hundred dollar bill in my wallet, but we pull over, give the guy my a hundred dollar bill. And we were like, we were in a state of scarcity energetically, but we're just counteracting that. And we look back and this homeless guy is like dancing in the streets after we get hundred dollars and just twirling around and bouncing and he's so happy. It just brought him such joy. I'm like, all right, that was worth it. I'll make another hundred. It's not a big deal. That's but, um, awesome, dude. You are the definition of uh go big to give big when you talk about these car dealerships and, and the abundance mindset and the law of reciprocity. And we just love hearing your stories. And we want to jump to the giving round now, though. Here's some more yeah. about it. Quick rapid fire questions for you. Quick answer. And we'll start by, should be a layup for you, but brag on one charity that you like right now. I love charity water because as we were talking earlier, if you change, if you provide clean water, they've found that is the quickest, most consistent way of lifting a community out of poverty. If they no longer have to walk for miles every day to get water or no longer have the threat of dying because they drink bacteria infested water. So I love charity water. 
What gets you more excited? Being able to donate a million dollar check or spending a week physically helping others? I'd say probably the the million dollar check. If and the reason is, so I went to Haiti or I went to Ethiopia and Uganda, and I was with my buddy Josh Axe, who's built this big health empire called Ancient Nutrition. And we were sitting there, and we're both successful entrepreneurs, and and we're like, we played with kids, we ran around and helped build orphanages and all that, but neither one of us felt desperately needed. And and another time I went to church and in the middle of church service, they said, walk across the street and let's go serve the homeless. We had about 200 church people and 200 homeless. So most of us just spent, they really needed 30 volunteers. So 170 of us are just standing around talking, trying to start up conversation. I was like, good intent, good idea. Mm, you didn't feel u- useful. I want to feel useful. A couple of weeks later, about a month later, maybe I go to this other church and it's about their Chris- their Christmas program is about to launch. And they're asking for volunteers. I'm like, I'm not freaking volunteering. I hate volunteers. I don't want to just be a warm body. I want to do something where I'm desperately needed. And instead, I said, you know what? I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not in a position to volunteer is what I said. <laughs> but I will donate a car to a family in need for Christmas. Because I knew my partners and I would be game with that. And sure enough, Monday morning, they call us up. And we hop on phone, we figure out, we tell them, hey, find a family that's a giving family, that's a generous family, but they're down on their luck, that this would make their day, make their Christmas. And they found a phenomenal family and we gave them a minivan, like a $10,000 minivan, and it changed their family and became a centerpiece of their giving campaign. 30,000 people saw the video that they played at church and we inspired other elements of giving because we were desperately needed. Only we were aligned to do something unique. So that's why I answer from the $1 million. Am I doing too long? When did the answer? We'll answer these last ones in quick rapid fire for you. All right, quick rapid fire. I'll do it. Who inspires you with their giving right now? Tony Robbins. He's like once a feed, I think a billion people. I want to help a million people have clean drinking water, but Tony Robbins is so generous and he's challenged me. You think that entrepreneurs should start giving from the beginning of their business or after they've seen some success and have some money in the bank account? I think beginning because it builds trust and it builds an energetic vibrancy of abundance and it also makes it more fun. And it actually, lastly, it also really attracts great people is when people see they're part of something bigger and part of doing good in a world that's bigger than making money, they'll go through tough times. And they'll, you'll attract better player, better players. What's the first thing you think of when you hear go big to give big? Let go of the disease of small-itis. Dream big, act big. And, and I also think of that Marianne Williamson quote of our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate, but is that we are powerful beyond measure. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, talented, gorgeous, and fabulous? Who are you not to be? You're a child of God. You're playing small, doesn't serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that others won't feel insecure around you. And in fact, as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously liberate others to do the same. So let's go big to give big so that we can liberate others to do the same. Freaking mic drop. All right. <laughs> in, in one word, describe the feeling you get when you give. Joy. Beautiful, man. And the uh, the final question for the round, the age-old question, I'm sure you've heard a hundred times, do you believe that money can buy you happiness? 
it, it gets you to a place of focusing on higher values. If you're fighting for survival, uh, then you need money. That's your first thing. And But then on that m- hierarchy of human needs, if you don't have a purpose beyond the money, then you just become aimless and greedy, frankly. And that happens sometimes. But I think more people that are truly wealthy have a wealth consciousness around abundance and giving, and they live in that divine flow. Beautiful answer, man. Well, thank you again for carving out some time in your day to come join us and and share your inspiration of going bigger and giving bigger. Where can our audience uh, learn more about you, find your book, things like that? Yeah, you can go on um, Mike Zeller. I'm at the Mike Zeller on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, TikTok, all the platforms, Instagram. And then on my book, you can pick it up by going to geniuswithinbook.com. So www.geniuswithinbook.com or on Amazon, wherever books are sold. And then uh, mikezeller.com as well. And we'd love to hear from you guys with what resonated, what spoke to you as well, and uh, where you're at in the pursuit of your deepest area of genius. Beautiful, man. Well, thank you again. Couldn't have uh, been more excited to have you here. And I look forward to staying connected with you and following your journey as you continue to support more businesses. My pleasure. You guys rock. Thanks for having me. This has been an absolute pleasure and one one of the best podcast interviews I've experienced all year long. Right on. Thanks, Mike. Thank you for listening to the show. If you know someone who's an example of Go Big to Get Big, we would love if you could share this with them. We want to get our message out to as many listeners as we can, and it all starts by having people like you share it with your friends. Also, if you enjoyed the show, take 30 seconds and give us a five-star review. It's a simple act of giving that is free for you, helps us grow our message, and in return, allows others to find us sooner. And until the next episode, remember, always go bigger with your dreams and goals so you can give bigger with your profit.